Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Soho Art Materials. In 1999, they opened their first shop on Grand Street with a handful of sketchbooks, brushes, paint, and their Trimar stretcher bars. From that point, they've been an integral part of the artistic fabric of New York City. Soho takes pride in what they do as the last independent art supply shop in New York City, and they continue to keep their product assortments and standards high. In 2015, they designed and engineered an aluminum stretcher bar system with the same tongue and groove assembly as a standard wood stretcher. These patented aluminum bars can't warp or twist and are 100% keyable in the corners and cross braces. I've been using them for a while now and these things always lay flat against the wall. They're super sturdy. And you can find out more about them at SohoArtMaterials.com. Division is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join them in part-time study beginning this September. Two-week intensive marathons present a wide range of art-making strategies, rigorous studio engagement, and comprehensive critiques, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon session. An 11-week evening and weekend classes are the ideal way for artists of all levels to experience the school's learning through making pedagogy, to receive guidance from inspiring instructors and to join the expansive New York Studio School community in New York City or virtually from your own home studio. Visit nyss.org to learn more and enroll today. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden acrylics, mediums, and materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10 foot by 40 foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Tani Lonsdale is an artist rendering emotional divinity through the use of layered oil paints and ethereal intuitive compositions. She was born in 1982 and raised in Sussex, the UK. Tani attended the University of Arts in London where she primarily studied painting, graduating with a BFA in 2007. After moving to LA in 2015, her practice evolved to embrace large-scale painting, soft sculpture, and works on paper. This September, Tani is debuting a solo booth of new work with Cobb Gallery at the Armory Show in New York, releasing with a limited edition print collaboration with Avon Art 
and will have new work on view in the group exhibition High Voltage 4 at Nassima Lando in Tel Aviv. Other recent exhibitions include Our Humans at Fabian Lang in Zurich, Observation at Peritin in Dubai, True Romance at Night Gallery in LA, and Under the Shell at Cobb Gallery in London. Prominent acquisitions of Tani's work include the X Museum in Beijing and the Foundation Media Noche in Granada, Spain. Tani lives and works in Los Angeles. I spoke to Tani about a supportive art teacher boarding school, the move to California, Henry Moore, the Abyss, and much more. Here's our conversation. I mean, LA shows such a broad spectrum of every kind of art. I feel like anyone would like that work with a show here. It's just like so accessible and yeah. any kind of, art or setup or artist run space or blue chip gallery or like i don't know i feel like there's a place for everyone here yeah and you drive to that place yes <laughs> you don't walk oh so my wait, god you do. i mean for someone growing up south of london right yeah no in the sort of english rolling countryside oh really That's, yeah sounds in nice. a, yeah, it, it was. It was lovely. It's uh, Sussex, which is like an hour and a half south of London. Sure. Uh, and yeah, I spent my whole childhood there and then only moved to London when I was about 18. Yeah, but what's this about Florida? Wasn't there a little... <laughs> well, we had a holiday home in the Keys in Florida um, and I we would go there like... So I was at boarding school in England and then pretty much every summer holiday we would go straight to this little house we had in the Keys, nice. spend the whole holiday there and then come back straight into English boarding school. It was like clouds, sun. No, wait. So how did how did the parents, I mean, why the key, how? <laughs> uh, so my dad uh, has always been obsessed with boats in the water oh. and fishing and diving and sailing. And... Uh, I think that it was just a really easy place to go with kids and he had a boat and he, I'm one of four girls. Um, so he would try and drag all of us out on the boat or do doing all his like water sports. And we, none of us really wanted to, we just wanted to like make friendship bracelets and um, play with beads or go on a bike ride with my mom. And um, yeah, I think he longed for a son but uh he was outnumbered yeah he's <laughs> he was but you know it wasn't it wasn't idyllic setup and I used to dream uh of Florida like when I was asleep in my cold boarding school bed I used to just like wish that I could close my eyes and wake up in Florida because it's just yeah. so warm and sunny and nice I think that's probably why I've come to LA I mean it's that just... seems like when i when I read a little bit about the Florida connection, I thought, well, maybe it's that. Maybe it's yeah. related. It is, but it's also that American feeling of everything being big. And and I, there's this like distinctive smell about American supermarkets and American drugstores that like now I smell it and it's just like takes me right back. Right. And uh, it's weird because I, I don't really like American drugstores but they're just not very nice compared to english ones but yeah they're just really nostalgic for me <laughs> so <laughs> uh in showbiz right i'm sure you were 
you wanted to go to LA for the show biz. Totally. Just, it was calling me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. So what did your parents do? What did your dad do? I mean, was the boating thing just a hobby? Yeah, that was a hobby. So it's always an interesting question I got asked when I was younger. Like people always want to know what your parents do. So my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, she was a model when my dad met her. He had a fashion line in England called the Blue G Jeans. Machine. That's right. Yeah. I, re- I I read about that. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot. So he was the Blue Jean guy. Yeah, he was Wait, known as Sussex the king of denim. London? In London, before I was born, he was like considered the king of denim in London. He bought jeans over from the States and sold them on the King's Road in London. And that's where he met my mom. And he was like, just very successful selling his jeans. It was like a big denim empire. But by the time I came around, he'd sold that because he'd fallen out with his brother who he co like ran the business with and had just done a complete U-turn and and had started doing like buying companies that needed fixing up and then he would sell them. So he went from like something quite fun and creative to something that I don't think made him that happy, but that was really successful. So the the nautical was the escape. Yeah. I mean, he didn't grow up with like boats and stuff. He, he was sent to boarding school when he was really, really young and lost his dad when he was young and went to military school and it was a really tough upbringing for him. But somewhere along the line, he discovered boats in the ocean. I think that was his escape. Now, as the the king of denim, <laughs> I would imagine growing up in that household, for some reason, I just imagine, you know, the stones, like, you know, like rock and roll from that time. I mean, was it was like, I mean, did he work with any musicians? <laughs> like, you know, denim, you think at that point. Yeah. I just want to say no, but my dad is not the most open with everything that's happened in his life. He's not a big sharer of stuff. And my dad was definitely less rock and roll and more like James Taylor, Neil Diamond, uh, Don McLean kind of vibes. He likes, like, you know, Otis Redding. He just wants to be on the back of his boat listening to chill music. Sitting Um, on a dock. In the bay. With, yeah, fishing. Uh, so not very rock and roll. Not when I was around anyway. They'd already moved out of London to the countryside and, you know, um, it was a very bucolic sort of existence. Yeah, that sounds nice. So um, in sort of the arts were, in the boarding school, wasn't there, is there like a, sort of like a welcoming environment to the arts? Well, it was a very creative school. It was quite progressive at the time. Um, but I didn't, like the art thing didn't really kick in until a bit later on, until I was like 16, maybe 17. Uh, That's not, it, not late in the game. <laughs> no, but everyone's like, oh, I've wanted to, I've wanted to be an artist. I've drawn and painted ever since I was born. And, yeah, uh, it's it. I feel like it's a fifty-fifty. I mean, I've talked to a lot of artists, yeah. and I feel like it's either one or the other. You know what I mean? Like half the time, it's 
I always knew I was going to be a painter. And it's like, really? And then the other time is like, yeah, I went to college and, uh, you know, math sucked. And then I yeah. just took an art class and I was like, oh, this is fun. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. It's kind of yeah. nice. You can enter both ways, you know. Yeah. I mean, my sister, because I've got three, but my sister just above me, so I'm number three. She was always the arty one. She was like super good at drawing and painting, making number, things look exactly number two? how they were. Uh, yeah sister number two and so she was the artist and I was like more into I thought I might be a writer because I like writing stories when I was younger um but then like when I went to like what is the equivalent of like middle school high school in England I suddenly realized that I was really bad at English like I like writing stories but I couldn't like dissect novels and write essays it's hard so, man. writing is not yeah. it takes i think writing it takes a certain skill set i mean you know your lexicon it takes a certain imagination with the language and meet fused together and then you just have to be willing to just do that which is mm-hmm. <laughs> for those who've written things you know outside of being a writer it it can be really tough i think yeah, and it's also like, I guess it's the same dilemma as when you're an artist. It's like, are you writing for you or are you writing for someone else? Right. And I always felt like I was writing for me, but that didn't really translate into anything that anyone else wanted to read. It was just maybe if I'd continued it would, but I always felt that like it wasn't, it was more like sort of, I don't know, just didn't really make any sense. It was just streams of thought. Yeah. And so it wasn't really that well received at school. So <laughs> you, I just harsh critique. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't well received. Wait, what what grade are we talking? <laughs> okay, I must have been like. Uh, so you enter like senior school when you're thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, and I went from being you know like able to write creatively without too many like limits. Yeah, uh, creative writing when I was in the like eight to 12 year old school and then this just didn't translate to grown-up school where suddenly Shakespeare and and whatnot I can't even remember were like the order of the day and I just couldn't get my head around that so yeah that's heady stuff at that age I can't imagine being critiqued on that you know you would need some time and space to develop I mean you know when you're creative in a visual way I think you can kind of just it can kind of come out of you and it may not be polished or whatever, but there's something raw about that. But when it comes to telling stories or writing, there's something to be said, I think for experience, you know? Yeah. Don't squash it too early. Yeah. I got squashed, but you know, it's so easy to get, I feel like the system, which is supposed to enable you to, to foster a love and a, a desire for these things. Sometimes they often just, squish it out of you you know what I mean just like yeah step on your dreams (laughs) yeah for sure and like the teacher makes a big difference like I had a like a I had an art teacher that like people mostly didn't like they used to take the piss out of him and say he was a failed artist and that was the only reason he was a teacher but I really liked him and I think he liked me and gave me like extra canvases and was very encouraging and let me use the oil paints rather than the shit acrylic paints that everyone else got and so I just ended up spending more and more time doing that and honestly I really wasn't that good 
I was making some bad art, but I liked it. It was fun. Wait, this is in high school? Yeah. I mean, do you want to see what I was making? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wasn't winning I any awards, that's for sure. <laughs> I know. But, I, you know, it's like comparing yourself to other people. Like, yeah. Well, there's always, well, I don't know in your experience, but there's like the one or two kids who are really just good at drawing something that looks like something else. Yeah. So they get the accolades. Yeah. yeah. And weirdly, I look at it in my son now who's 13 and actually my 10 year old starting to go that way is that they've lost that um, creative like freedom. And now if it doesn't look exactly like the, uh, I don't know, flower that they're trying to copy then they're a terrible artist and they can't draw and it's just like quite the opposite like yeah it's tough you gotta like you gotta work through it and realize that that's not the end game you know yeah exactly although we are it's weird i don't know if you feel this way with social media and the way sort of like things are happening now it feels like there is this like returning in the general public's eye a little bit of a returning to skill or technique because it's broadcast so people are like mm -hmm. oh wow you know that's amazing yeah. so there's a little more currency in technical ability in its showmanship more than the final result so in other words like the tiktok of someone making something in a time lapse if it's technically good mm -hmm. people are like wowed by it in general whereas if you just went to see a show of that work on the gallery walls you'd be like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's funny Which, how that's kind of it, yeah, it tweaked it, it a bit. It has changed a lot. I, it's kind of like when you go into, like, I find, like, when I go into galleries sometimes and I'm not that, I don't connect with the art, let's say. Um, but then I talk to the gallery person, whatever you call them, who comes and talks to you about the art. And given context, suddenly you get it and it clicks. Yeah. And you don't necessarily like the art, but you like feel it. And maybe that's the same thing with the TikTok is that people need to see some context in order to connect with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, it, it helps for certain mm -hmm. people to digest whatever that thing is, you know? I, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny as you, as things change so quickly in the way we digest images its effect that it has on the wiring of us making them. I think you can't catch up with it. You know what I mean? It's got to be, it's kind of like unconscious or you, you, we can only see it in the rearview mirror or something. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. And also, I mean, I do this is, you know, I'm, I'm painting in my studio and I take a picture and of the underpainting and then the progress. And I'm like, some impulse is making me want to do that, mm -hmm. share that with the people who are looking out there and it's, yeah, it's only really in the last, what, 10 years that this has happened. Right. And I don't know, is it changing the way you make? Because it's so, it does break the flow. It does, yeah. like, break that, like, hypnotic state of, like, where you shouldn't, you're, you're not meant to be making things necessarily for someone else. I mean, that is obviously what happens in the end, but, you're you know, you're breaking that, like true connection to wherever it's coming from onto the page by continuously taking pictures and putting them out there. That's such a good analysis of it because the, the sort of 
lame old person analysis of it is like you guys are like too busy on your phones and you don't mm. you know but the real thing or what you're talking about which is interesting is that constant interruption of the flow state or the the zone that you get in you mm. know what I mean? and if you're if you start to hit that zone you're like oh shit, i gotta take a picture of this or i gotta live stream all right mm. you know it kind of breaks that in a way but then maybe people these days are just that's the way they're wired yeah. it doesn't they can hit a flow state of some sort of weird I can be interrupted or have all the stimulus at the mm. same time. And they're, they're adapting yeah. to it. I don't know. It's just a new way of creating. It's like, I look at my kids now on their screens and like, there's just so much fear in the parents of today of what like is becoming of our kids with screens and stuff, which is kind of the same fear that every generation's parents have had for their kids, depending TV. on whether it's like <laughs> TV, uh, computer games. Well, rock music yeah yeah uh i don't know anything where there's a shift and like yeah just spending all down screens isn't good but it's also like it's just like the new matrix it's like a new i don't know a new reality it, it's very strange and it's the same with painting it's like suddenly you're not it's not just you in the studio yeah it's um it's everyone and that maybe is the new flow state i don't know all i can say is thank god i didn't have that stuff when I was like an undergrad, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because now I, mean, I, I see students, they're so nervous. Like there's this weird uh, push and pull between like, well, I'm not like ready to share this. I, like I wasn't ready to share stuff yeah. even out of grad school. I don't think I was quite ready. And like, I got to kind of share this to be in the mix, but then yeah. I don't feel that great about this stuff yet, but I got to kind of do, and that's a weird place to yeah, be. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking back to, I didn't go to grad school, but I went did my bachelor's and oh God, I made some really bad art. That's, really the, I think bad. that's the job though. Didn't we have to exercise the demons, release the kraken of crappy yeah. art and then like move through it? You know what I mean? I mean, it's a must. You definitely don't want to peak too early. Um, I don't think you can. Well, I guess you could. But. People, people, well, I think that it's not really peaking too early, but it's like getting the recognition Yes. When you're really like just developing and then that fear that, uh, well, this is what I have to keep doing in order to maintain this level of success. Right. Uh, when you really, if you think back to what you did back then, you're like, God, if people liked that enough that I thought I had to keep making that shit. Not that they're not that the people <laughs> who get success early are making shit. They're probably making really great art, but they need to be able to feel the freedom to move on from that. Yeah, it's a, it's almost like for good or for bad, you want to lock into it when you want to lock into it, not when other people say, hey, this is something you should lock in or you feel pressured to because it's doing well or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I feel like everyone kind of locks, even if you lock into doing something different every day, you kind of lock into something at a certain point. I don't, does, is there anyone who's just like inventing every day for the rest of her life this seems like an no. exhausting level of challenge i mean even sun Ra at some point was like all right spaceships we're just gonna go with spaceships <laughs> you know what i mean yeah like it yeah. wasn't i i feel like that that um you you want it to be on your terms in a way i think yeah and you know it often happens by accident without trying when it's feels the most authentic like a mistake in a painting or you yeah. see a show that makes you think about hands and suddenly all you can do is paint hands. Um, 
But I think when you're young and just out of school, you don't feel the confidence to shift and change when maybe you're getting a lot of praise for something. Right. It's a little and, scary. Yeah. And that's like a gift and a curse. I mean, it's great to get praised and to feel like mm. people are interested in what you're doing too. So it's a catch 22. But like people don't have patience anymore because they feel like they have to mm. hit that benchmark right away. But if you really want to do it, it's a real long haul. And then what do you do after that yeah. initial bump, you know? I mean, someone said something really, I had a collector in my studio a little while ago and I'm like a really impatient person, like really impatient. And the same goes with my career. It's not like it's been, a, it's definitely not been quick, um, but I'm feeling, I get really like impatient. I'm like, I want that show there. I want it there and I want it there. Why am I not getting it there? And then you you get like a hint of potentially having a show there. And then you you just want, you want it quickly and anyway I had this collector who was like what's the hurry like if you like really like what's the hurry like you'll probably get there at some point but like it's just enjoy the ride there's yeah. like no rush to get there. I mean it's like obvious isn't it but it just really hit home like god why am I in such a rush to get to the end because like right. what's beyond that end point what's beyond that top gallery that you want to work with and it's nothing there's nowhere to go once you hit there yeah and sometimes those places suck or over advertised yeah <laughs> yeah and actually like i've formed such great relationships with smaller galleries who i've worked with for a long time and there's a balance to be found with a gallery being able to fulfill everything that you require as an artist within your career career but also like it's they're small enough that they want to like work closely with you and that you are like one of a small roster of artists that they represent and uh you don't get benched basically it's like yeah. going working for like playing for a top team and getting benched because you're not quite there yet right yeah i mean i'd rather get my minutes in burnley than you know sit on the bench at chelsea Sorry. Did you grow up supporting was football? In your uh, life? My ex-husband supports Chelsea. Uh, and so that was my life for a long time, but no, my family, my dad watched the rugger like on weekends, but like, no, we were a family of girls and my dad wasn't into sport. So Wait, I didn't. Is, have is there a that. local team though near you? No, I mean, there must be. In England? Yeah. Whoa. Where I grew up? I mean, there was like, I reckon like Reading was a pretty, pretty big team and I wasn't that far from them. Portsmouth, pretty big team. Sure. Um, But no. Wait, Reading, are you near Reading? I was actually born in Reading. That's where the festival is, right? Yeah. Um, But I, you know, like everything's like, they're all like an hour away from where I lived, which isn't too far. My, um, in high school, I, was a bit of an anglophile when it came to music mm-hmm. so i one of the record shops had nme and you know there i would get mm-hmm. like that stuff and i listened to a lot of my bloody valentine and stuff so i learned a lot about england through through music and then okay. you know and i play soccer so and i'm still involved with that so i have like a, a geographic understanding of football teams yeah <laughs> that's how you get your bearings around england is the football I mean, teams it you it's Seems a way. Fair enough. You know, it's a, it's a portal in. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> so, um, so 
going to school, I mean, did you, so you had this teacher, let's go back to, that was getting really good as far as talking about the philosophy of how art has changed, but let's bring it back to you. So going to school and you had this teacher that everyone else thought was a crank and washed up. And if you can't do it, teach. Yeah. And if you can't teach, teach gym, but they taught art. So, so you had that relationship and then going to school after that, did you like when when are we talking about a um an understanding that art is going to be something a little more than just you know a side well, dish? Well, quite late because I uh, finished school, high school, uh, and then applied for art school. I did an art foundation, um, and I went to this school which was like well regarded, but I hated it. Um, I just really hated it. I hate the part of town it was in. So I left after the first semester and um, moved in with my sister in London, my big sister, and worked in this a few pubs and restaurants for about, can't remember the timeline, but long enough that I earned some money and then I went traveling with my best friend and ended up being gone about 10 months. Wow. Um, yeah, we did like, started in Australia and then did Asia and then she went home and then I got, flew to Nepal and then I did a, the uh, the Himalayan trek. And how old were you? I want to say 19. This is good. That's good sort of exposure to things. Yeah, good life skills. Um, and then went into India and hiked around northern India and then went south and then flew home. And while I was finishing up my travels, I decided I wanted to reapply to art school, but just go to a different one that was like not so well known, but I'd been around it and I liked it. Uh, So my mom helped me get the application in and I got accepted there and ended up going home, had a few months over the summer and then started this one um, and ended up there for four years doing my foundation and my degree there. And I loved it. Uh, I still wasn't making very good art by the end of it. (laughs) Uh, But the summer after I finished, I got a studio in London and worked throughout the summer. And then that's when things started really clicking. Just having the privacy of like a tiny studio without anyone looking over my shoulder. And that's I think that's when I really started to feel like aligned with this choice yeah and are you taking in music and art and you know the city stuff are you letting that kind of energy happen or are you pretty uh hermetic pretty hermetic i think um i'm trying to remember back of what i was doing then oh i know what i was doing i had met my ex-husband by then and I just kind of like become slightly isolated, I think, within that relationship. So it was like painting home, painting home. I got like ended up getting engaged, married by the time I was 26, had my first child when I was 27, second when I was 30. So that it became like, I think my experience of being in London post-travels was suddenly not very expansive. Yeah. So that's maybe like nothing, nothing makes you drop anchor, like having kids. Right. 
it yeah. really rounds you into a place and a situation. Well, for most people, you know, usually not like running and gunning when you have kids. No, it was uh, like I look back and I'm like, fuck, I really, I really, I love my kids. I don't regret that, but I really <laughs> the miss. caveat. Yeah, I, yeah. kids. Let me just great. say this. Um, <laughs> but I like look at like kids today, as in teenagers and young twenties, and I'm like, fuck, I really like did not maximize my 20s like where was the fun and they're like like adventures or like I don't know what they all do now but I definitely was making home I was making house and painting um and then having babies but I will say that the experience of having kids and the struggles that came with being in a marriage that started out really well but didn't go so well it's just like stuff for the paintings yeah I mean I was you know I feel like I was making some interesting art and it was starting to feel like it had a like it had something behind it like it had some like depth and like meaning to it yeah no that's great if you can tap into that you know it's I, I feel like we kind of well for a lot of artists you're tapping into whatever it is yeah. You know, like even let's say you you carried on that Carmen San Diego approach of like just going around the world, you know, nonstop here and there. Yeah. I mean, that would have entered the work in some way if you kept doing that. You know what I mean? Or if you're, you know, more centrally located with the experience of having the kids and stuff. I mean, that feeds it all feeds into it in, in a in a yeah. way, right? I mean, almost like if I had just kept living a life of freedom and travels like maybe I wouldn't have had such a need to paint but it was like such a drive there was such a need to go and paint and just that was like my like escape I'll say escape my freedom (laughs) my like ability to like unload um, detach from reality because you're inventing your world in a way you know yeah and you know when I look back at it I'm like God, it's just so obvious. Like it is an autobiography. My whole life is being in my paintings. And like it's not that hard to dissect them and read like what was going on. Wouldn't it be weird if the paintings are reality or or sort of like the driving force and you're just a pod? Yeah. I'm living matrix. It. You're like yeah. you're making them for the paintings, but the paintings are reality. Yeah. The paintings are dictating like what's happening in my life, not the other you're- way around. You're a writer. Let's let's work on the screenplay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're adjacent to Hollywood, so I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think we've got something here. I do. I mean, that like I'm looking now at that great painting of yours that's like on the splash page of your website of these. Oh, the recent one. Figures that are hmm. there. Maybe they're the overlords. <laughs> well, like it's funny. Like I don't really. Uh, I don't necessarily know what I'm painting until afterwards sometimes. Even though I sketch it, I don't know what it is. Like I I have the composition, but I don't really know what it is and or where it's coming from. Like it starts from something, but then it kind of evolves and then I sort of don't really know what it is. Uh, But so I often like look at my paintings afterwards and when I have to title them, it really forces me to think, what is this that I've painted? Like, what what am I, what do I need to tell? How much do I need to tell people who are looking at it? And like, really like the titles are, have to be like a director, 
like a, they have to like give you direction to understand the painting so anyway that's when I normally try and figure out what it is that I've painted like and um I was looking at these and there was this movie I loved when I was younger called The Abyss did you ever see it no <laughs> it's like I think if, you, if you've seen it you love it and it's like cult and if you haven't then you haven't but it's basically um these people there's something's like gone wrong with an oil rig and something has like fallen to the most deepest part of the ocean and these these like ge underwater geologists sort of whatever you call people that go to the very bottom of the ocean are they have to go in a submarine and then their submarine breaks down anyway they end up like falling down like the deepest trench in the ocean and they're they're gonna die basically but then these creatures who are living in the deepest part of the ocean they're like magical celestial sort of glowing gigantic alien things and i'm like fuck this is the abyss like i've basically like painted these underwater deep sea alien beings and i always thought that they and they could have been but i always thought that they were celestial beings in terms of being above us but I'm like, this is weird because they're actually below us and they're coming up from beneath rather than looking down on us from above. And suddenly I was looking at them as underwater rather than what I thought, which was these nighttime paintings. Because I used to paint paintings last year that it, it was flipped. It was dark figures on a light background. And I was like, oh, it's, it's my nighttime paintings. But now I'm like, no, that just it's just really deep and That's really interesting. dark it's like because i was thinking about it when you were describing it as like well maybe these creatures are in the dark sort of like the abyss of the mind and it's kind mm. of like this subconscious pulling it because you don't know right mm -hmm. you're not drawing these out they're just coming they're sort yeah. of like emerging from but it is from your mind i mean you're yeah and i also there's this other like thing that I've been thinking about, which is like, in terms of like, when you die, where'd you go? Like this idea of heaven or uh, back to source or uh, the universe or whatever, like, does that is does that exist out there? Or is it just a state of mind within you? Like, is everything just a like, does nothing exist? And it's really just the way you perceive it in your own mind. And it starts to get really trippy. And like, you know what is what is heaven and what is god and what is on the other side and maybe it's actually just all in my head in everyone's head like maybe heaven is just within <laughs> yeah i mean this is and these are the tenets of existentialism and yeah you know, exactly they're, they're they're great sort of like um concepts to explore it, the, the beauty of it is we don't know but that enables your imagination to create a certain level of existence within our mind to explain what's happening. But we have, yeah. No really. I mean, when you you do a meditation, I often like do a guided meditation because I'm not very good at doing like a self whatever meditation, but like there's one meditation I do where they make you like turn yourself in, like inward and imagine like the universe and space within you. And then you become this like 
infinite space inside. And I'm like, so like, is space just inside? I mean, it's trippy. Like it is really trippy. Like is, is it's your consciousness essentially is infinite. Right. There's no like end to your consciousness. Yeah. And that I guess is the abyss, isn't it? Like these creatures are deep within that abyss. Yeah, because uh, technically, whether you think about it in the physical realm or the metaphysical realm or the, you know, philosophical realm, the abyss is kind of the unknown, right? It's mm. what you can't see or what you, what has no boundaries. Yeah. And really, that's everything in in a sense. Like if you go in in a micro cosm level of like the human anatomy, just the body itself, mm. which is a physical. I mean, you can keep scaling down basically to like you know something yeah. small so and then the same thing if you sort of look out but that that idea before where you're talking about below and above mm-hmm. you know what i mean it it feels very x y z axis you know what i mean mm-hmm. but i think there's probably another axis that we can't see or know you know it's kind of like that metaphor of like ants you know when they're on the ground building their little ant holes and going down like they don't know what's happening up on the 52nd yeah. floor of a skyscraper like they can't mm-hmm. see that and we're probably seeing our dimensional things but then there's yeah. something else that we just can't see that other you know conscious beings or something can see or there's other yeah. forms of existence and happening maybe that's information maybe it's data maybe it's uh, you know experience who knows it's hard to see the forest from the trees you know yeah i love that i love that concept um it's just mind blowing really and I also think it's really interesting. Someone's, someone said something the other day, was it on the radio or did I read it in a book? Basically, we can never, ever see the whole of everything. Like whatever you're looking at, you're only seeing one section of it. You can never see everything all at once. So there's, all, there's always a huge lack of information. There's always the unknown when you look around you. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of things you're not seeing on a really basic level um yeah i i mean i i bring it up a lot i think to when i'm teaching or when in when i'm talking about this kind of concept of like if you look at a creature like the mantis shrimp it sees a prismatic range of colors that we can't even get close mm-hmm. to seeing like it's like amazing right and we know that based on like the structure of their eyes and all this stuff. so we're only seeing like it's it's all it's like Plato's cave. We're only seeing what's filtering mm. through our cones and rods, and it's a perception of what we can physically see. But you know, other creatures and other beings are seeing something completely different, and it's all quote unquote our reality. You know yeah. what I mean? But your yeah. reality is based on the way you take it in. So it's yeah, not so- really reality. It's 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 constant flux for everyone, everything at every moment. Yeah, it's trippy and, you know, just sometimes gives me a little bit of anxiety thinking about it. <laughs> it's just a smidge. Uh, yeah, the, the it's like when you, know. like, re- realize, like, that we're on a tiny weeny planet, like, spinning around in, like, infinite space and that it just could go on forever. It, I don't really like to think of it like that. I'd rather, no, I, I actually, actually, I like just being here with my feet on the ground, not thinking too much about 
the beyond up yeah, there. Yeah, just just pinch yourself once in a while, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I felt that that hurt. Just yeah, don't yeah. do like DMT or something. <laughs> no, no, I'm not really good at uh, like uh, what are they called? Drugs that make you hallucinogenics. See? Hallucinogenics. Yeah, yeah, don't. That's that's I'm probably not, not for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at like anything that makes me feel not myself. Yeah, I I feel enough not myself without the help of drugs. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm a control freak. Yeah. Um, when you were mentioning, um, I'm gonna lose my train of thought. <laughs> it's too. <laughs> it's no that anxiety, that smidge of anxiety about yeah. you know the unknown or whatever. Don't you think there's a parallel anxiety of like the blank canvas? But there's something exciting mm-hmm. that it can be anything and you don't know how it's going to turn out because if you knew how it turned out and if it couldn't be anything, it had to be this one thing, then it kills what creativity is, which is an expression, a unique expression of an interpretation of an act or an interpretation of our world. So if if we didn't have that anxiety about the unknown, then it would crush everything that we're dedicating our life to through creativity. Yeah, it's the possibility that you want to keep the possibility of anything. Um, but the beauty is, is the anxiety, or not anxiety, but the the non-ability to know or control it. Yeah, the uncertainty. Yes, um, I feel like musicians sure. are good at that. They're good. They they embrace it a little more of like, yeah, I don't know what the I'm just we're making music yeah. songs and words come out and like, you just kind of there's less definition of it. It's just kind of like a feeling and you don't have to mm-hmm. explain it necessarily. Just, yeah, yeah. Just, just, I wrote this, you know, it just came out. You hear mm-hmm. that all the time from like musicians. Yeah. yeah we're just sitting Fuckers. in a room and this, this came out and you know, it's beautiful and no one's like, well, why? Or this is, yeah. you know, it's just kind of like. No one asks them why or what it's about or no one says oh, I could have done that. Right. It's an evolved art form. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, do you shake your butt to it? Does it make you feel good? You know, what yeah. I mean? and then people feel good about it. And yeah, it's kind of a nice, it's a nice thing to have there too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have a harder time. This is, this will piss people off. I have a harder time with theater and with like the make believe when it's acted out. I mean, sometimes it's beautiful and I can tap into it sometimes, but a lot of times I just can't fully, you know, dive into it or something like the I feel the same. Yeah, I'm not a theatre person. I uh, I always thought it's because I wasn't brought up with theatre, but I actually also think that it's just maybe something you really like or you don't. I just I've barely been to the theatre in my life. Maybe some like pantomimes when I was little. Um, Sock but, puppets in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, The Wind in the Willows was a classic yeah. one. Postman Pat, um, but. No, I don't really like the theater at all. So yeah, everyone out there. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, we we know it's great. You know, yeah. I just I'm not. I don't know. I can't. I don't even watch a ton of movies anymore. I went through a phase, but mm-hmm. you know, I I do think that you know maybe sometimes as painters or visual makers, you that becomes your sort of sci-fi reality of you know. Yeah, your escapism. Yeah. It's like I understand people that have jobs, nine to fives that they don't love. Uh, they need that form of escapism. Totally, but totally. I um, I don't, but I do still like going to the movies. But I like going to the movies and having that experience. I'm not. I don't really watch 
movies at home. The streaming stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do get into like, I do get into shows and then binge watch them and then done. I'm done for a while. Um, but yeah, not, not crazy into it. So this, the work that you're doing now with these figures, they sort of feel like these narratives that are a little otherworldly, that their own species and own mm-hmm. ecosystem of things happening. Um, obviously, you, you you know talk about there's some improvisational element to it. I'm sure you're tapping into certain kind of aesthetics that maybe subconsciously through your life you've been, you know, influenced or or interested in. I mean, is your scope of influence, does it branch out into, well, besides the abyss, movies or like literature or music or, or is it kind of, do you feel like you're trying to create this sort of like siloed, your brain, your invention kind of world? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a huge amount of cultural, obvious or intentional cultural input. Um, obviously, uh, I would say the one sort of cultural input is that I is Henry Moore. I saw a sculpture of his when I was in Zurich last year, and I know his work. I've known it for years, and it's always been somewhat of an influence. But it, it the influence became the soft edges, um, and that is how it sort of started shaping a sort of softer form than a more rigid form that I had before. But I don't really listen to music that much when I paint and I don't have like books or pictures on the wall or like reference notes. I just have a sketchbook, a little sketchbook that I every now and then I get really stuck into and I just let whatever wants to come out, come out. And then from there I take these sketches as sort of springboards onto the canvas and then eventually I don't need the sketchbook anymore and they just take on a life of their own, which is I've just, before I came to talk to you, I was unpacking the garage, making it into my studio and I started a few paintings, just little ones. And, um, you know, I'm at that stage in this series where I'm quite deep into the series and the figures have become very familiar, the forms and shapes in that they just come quite naturally. And I would say this is kind of, there's like a life cycle to my paintings the series the techniques you know like the embryonic phase which is like the inspiration uh where I sort of see something can I start building it in my sketchbook and then it sort of comes around to where I am now which is it's very well formed it feels very natural I don't need to think about it a lot and then it'll come to a point where this feels like it's dying Basically, I can't keep doing this. It's basically running out of life and it feels a bit contrived and formulaic and it just doesn't feel very authentic. And when it gets to that point, I'm just aware that there has to be a return to sort of the real world to like take in some stuff, go to some shows, go on a hike, take a break from the studio, take my sketchbook and then reconnect to something new and then the cycle might start again. Yeah. That sounds like, like pretty... the life of a frog. Let's say. <laughs> That's not what I was imagining. The life cycle of a frog. So you know, right now it's not quite the frog. It's sort of the newt that's grown the legs. Right. And uh, it's halfway there. It's 
It's the beauty of the circle of life. Mm. I had a pigeon on my balcony and it hatched an egg and it hatched today. I was very excited really? about it. Yeah. That's amazing. I've never <laughs> thought about what a baby pigeon would look like. Uh, yeah, they look like other baby birds <laughs> for now. <laughs> they're yeah. not they're not the you know the fat New York pigeons that they become yeah. here in a few months. <laughs> yeah. But still the, cute. Uh, yeah, very cute. Um yeah, I you know, I saw a Henry Moore when I was on that the trip to Japan in a sculpture garden in this beautiful sort of like Japanese garden and it looked totally mm. different than the ones that you know I've encountered in, you know, DC, like in the mall in Washington, yeah. DC or something. It's funny how the context of place can really change the the vibe of a piece, you know. But his stuff is um, yeah. Do you like Noguchi? I I mean, I don't know the name. Would I recognize oh, the work? Isama Noguchi was a sculptor slash furniture mate. He made furniture and sculpture, but uh, there's a, a museum here in Queens of his work. It's like beautiful. Mm. But the, um, I'll send you a link. Yeah, but uh, the the curved sure. forms are just beautiful. Like it's, if you like yeah. Henry Moore, you might be. If you like yeah. Henry Moore, you might like. Some well, I find it strange, not strange, actually makes total sense, but I find it interesting that like, I'm really drawn towards sculptors as inspiration. Yeah, like, but your figures are so sculptural. I mean, yeah. Picasso-y kind of sculptural feel to some of them too, because he had a specific kind of like angular yeah. weight to the figures that I think some of your stuff or Matisse or more, mm. I mean, as those are artists of a certain modern vernacular that I think there was a sculptural heft to some of the work because mm. a lot of them were making sculpture and they yeah. were big you know they yeah. they made big art and there is like a physicality to making big art similar to making a sculpture um but I I actually do make a few sculptures um I'm making one for my show at Armory um and it's really big I wasn't intending it for it to be so big, but it is, uh, it's massive. And it's interesting. It has got that bulbousness to it that, and those shoulders, you know, the big shoulders in the Moore sculptures, they're just like, if there's no head, it's all, it's all shoulders. Um, so it's interesting to like move from the canvas to something 3D. What is it and, made out of and where are you doing it? This is not in the garage. <laughs> No, I actually, my real proper professional studio is in Mid-City in West Adams. And uh, I took it on recently. Actually, it's really nice. Uh, and it's a soft sculpture. So it is about 14 feet long when fully stretched out. But it's it's a sort of doll-like figure, like a basic, very basic silhouette. Previously, we didn't have, they didn't have heads which was weird and I couldn't really work out how to do the head correctly, but this one has a big head and it's kind of meant to flop down like a rag doll. Um, but the fabric is really stretchy. So I, the reason it's way bigger than I thought is because I've just stuffed it really full and it's like massive. Uh, and um, I feel bad for the gallery. They've got to pay to ship it to New York. Hey, that's their job. <laughs> yeah exactly but it's going to be like on the floor in the center of the booth so nice. i i don't know I, my sculptures are a bit random they're a bit like um i don't they're just they 
this unlike the paintings where the figures feel like very ethereal and like almost like priestess like they're just very like like the elves in lord of the rings like everyone just they're just magical and like the top of the hierarchy my sculptures feel like they're the bottom of the rung they're just like really like like oafs and like heavy and like weighed down and like they don't have control of their limbs and they just feel very human they feel like the like the total opposite to the paintings they are the human aspect they are like the meat rather than the soul you know they're the body and then the paintings of the soul and I feel like maybe it's what your body is like when your soul leaves it they just are this big weight and they're very like you know like a loyal dog they're just very soft and comforting and lovely and you want to be like wrapped in them but there's just not much up there yeah I get it's funny because I you know when I was looking at that um painting marionette I believe it's called Mm -hmm. Like it has like a sort of sculptural feel to it. And I was thinking like when you bring up the word sculpture in relation to your work, I would immediately imagine like stone, like heavy stone mm. or something. Um, is that something you've ever thought of doing? I mean, I know logistically I it's mean, be a nightmare, but. I just, lim I'm limited by my skills. Yeah, um, I have someone else do. Yeah, well, actually, like, I always used to make these fabric sculptures, and then this time I have these amazing prop costume designers in Silver Lake um, made it for me. Um, they happen to be on, you know, the writer's strike is they've got no work, and um, so it was perfect timing. So they made this gigantic uh, sculpture for me, and it's excellent because my sewing skills are really not great i mean i i do it but it's not like professional um so yeah i have and i'm collaborating with a to do a print this autumn as well and before we decided on a print there was a discussion of doing a sculptural edition nice but we went with the print but you know yeah it's on my it's in my mind the idea of doing a sculpt like a solid sculpture I yeah just, I, mean, um, I, I don't even know you know those henry moores that are like dark what they're what are they made out of aren't they bronze like, are they and they're just painted but there's some i think that are like a blackish stone or something like obsidian did a lot of those oh there we go maybe obsidian you think? that would be awesome marionette, like a giant obsidian marionette mm. in uh right by the plaza in new york like right before central park just a big wow big well i'm gonna go see that when i come to new york because that sounds awesome wouldn't that be good um, yeah, that would be really good. I mean, like obsidian. That like I was really into crystals a while back, and that one had like quite, I think obsidian is like wards off negative energy. There you go. Wards must, off dark energy. So must cost a fortune, right? If you had a big yeah. ass sculpture made out of yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it would, you know, you'd want to, you know, stick near it so you wouldn't get yeah. any bad energy. Exactly. Um, stick it in your garden. Yeah, for sure. It, so do you want to mention the gallery and like the, you know, where people will be able to see that? Yeah. So the, uh, it's at the armory, the gallery I'm doing it with is called Cobb Gallery. So that's C-O-B. 
and they are a London-based gallery, and I've worked with them a few times before. It's run by two girls, uh, Cassie and Victoria, and um, they're great. They're actually, um, you know, when I was talking before about, like, galleries, smaller galleries that, like, just such a pleasure to work with. Um, but it'll be, I have no idea where in the armory, but it's going to be a solo booth there. And, um, yeah, go there and see it. I want to ask you a completely unrelated question. What about, what's your, what's, what are you into as far as food? Oh, well, I hate cooking. And if there's no one to cook for me, I tend to just eat toast uh, <laughs> um and that did not uh, <laughs> oh, well let's I say now for a night on the town in la i mean are you going to get toast avocado <laughs> toast are you going out no, where no. like what's your um what, your what would i eat when i go out um i mean i like italian a lot pasta and pizza just like all day long. Um, not really big into sushi. It's cold and like just I Rough. never you know, I always regret going to a sushi restaurant. Um and Mexican food is big here, like and really good. Like there's so much good like uh food trucks, so many good food trucks that sell great Mexican food here. Um so yeah. What's but I think pizza, my what what's your pizza like? What is it like in LA? I don't even. Pizza is it's hard to find New York style pizza, which is like obviously the best. Um, but there's a few really good places uh, around here, like the Jelena Juicer Restaurant Group. I mean, I love that restaurant, Jelena. It's like my favorite restaurant, but they do really good pizza. Um, with loads of cool stuff on it, like tasty stuff. Sounds good. Yeah, we're spoiled here in New York, I feel like. I know. I'm excited to come there. I haven't been since 2016. And um, I don't know New York at all. I've only been there twice. So I'm excited to come. Maybe you can give me some recommendations of places to go and eat good food. Something uh, other than guy. toast. I'll let you know all the spots. <laughs> Outside of sushi places. Yeah. I'll give you, there's, there's good Italian here too. I mean. I yeah. mean, it's a, sh I mean, when I do end up going to Japan, um, I'm guessing there's like loads of other options other than sushi. Oh yeah. It, you know, I, it's so funny because I mean, you can do sushi, but I, we never eat sushi when we go there. We yeah. eat like Japanese, we like, like normal, you know, stuff you go out there. There's tons of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like when, I mean, it's, it's great now that Korean food's getting bigger and like now there's yeah. like a ton of Korean restaurants. Some people think like, oh, Korean food, that's bibimbap or, you know, there's like, yeah. or like tteokbokki and it's like all they think of, but there's all this stuff and it's like mm -hmm. Japanese, like home cooking is so good. And yeah, there's so much stuff there. It's the food. It's insane how good it is. And I didn't eat one piece of sushi while I was there, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, like, very Americanized, isn't it, this idea of Japanese food? Um, just, like, with a lot of things, like American, Mexican food, American yeah. Chinese food. Yeah, the Chinese so a very food. simplified version. Um, yeah. yeah. 
to cater um, to the palates, I think. Yeah. Um, all right, last question. What music do you feel like your paintings sound like? Ooh. Um whale music. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um these are deep sea whales, right? Yeah. They're clicking at each other. Um, so what does my music sound like? Um I really like listening to music that doesn't have any words. And I don't really know if that's got a name. Um, Instrumental? Yeah, let's go with that. Not, It's not like classical or anything, but like I just, I can, you know, it's, it's less distracting. It kind of allows you to, it's like, you know, reading a book rather than watching a movie. It kind of allows you to create your own visuals with it rather than directing you too much. Um, yeah, no narrative words and all that crap that put your mind into yeah. spe specific places or, you know, yeah, you could just like live in the sound of it. I will also say when I was making this collection, I listened to a lot of opera and I don't know anything about opera, but I felt like this pull towards the dramatic. Mm -hmm. I wanted like something that I didn't really like a lot of it that I was listening to, but I just felt really moved by it and really just like directed by it I don't know I, I listened to like Phantom of the Opera because it's the only opera that came to mind and my dad used to listen to it all the time weirdly he loved Phantom of the Opera so it was nostalgic and kind of dramatic and kind of beautiful at the same time so opera which has a narrative which i found interesting and instrumental music uh somewhere in that mix yeah that sounds right your dad seems like he was an interesting character here. <laughs> and then your name I, I i don't think i've heard your name before maybe i'm just ignorant and don't know what the etymology of it is but where how did what is there any story it's not a very exciting story but um so raquel welsh the hot one from yeah. you know that movie she called her daughter tani <laughs> the hot <laughs> and, one from that movie yeah uh she called her daughter tani around the same time maybe that i was born and my mom loved it so that was where it came that's why and then i know that it, it means in native american it means running water or babbling brook that's nice um but it was the raquel welsh thing really that did it that's two things that so perfectly go together harmoniously. Raquel <laughs> Welsh and Native American culture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Maybe. like a dream catcher personified. <laughs> yeah, it totally is, isn't it? That's kind of beautiful. Yeah. Um, you see, you can't escape the Hollywood connection. No, I it's know. It's just there. It's part mm -hmm. of that subconscious abyss, I think. Yeah. So when do yeah. we start writing this screenplay? Oh, it's it's already underway. All right. Yeah. Wait, we can just chat GPD, right? Writer strike. Yeah. <laughs> are we technically writers? Are we not allowed to? Is no one allowed to write a screenplay right now? Is no one allowed to write anything? No. It's it's it. It's something amazing happens akin to when no one was going out during COVID and like nature had a rebound. Yeah. Like now something's happening because no one's writing anything. I don't know what it is, but it's something's something. happening. But we won't know for like a couple of years, and then exactly. it'll be obvious. Yes. There's a, you know, something's happening somewhere. Mm. Um, well, I'm a huge fan of the work. It's, it's so, I guess I'll just end by saying 
the the way that you were describing and the things you're tapping into, it was nice to hear because it kind of verbalized the sort of vibe that I was getting from looking at the work. You know what I mean? So it mm-hmm. feels right. Yeah. The, who, whoever the paintings are that are making you make the paintings, they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just don't a fight it. Yeah. Don't fight it. Aren't yeah. we all? <laughs> Let's just crack open a beer and enjoy it. Yeah, it's just, hey, man, there could be worse chain gangs to be on, working mm-hmm. on, you know, slaving away at these things. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of... Anyways, the the work's great, and uh, it was really nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks for listening to Sound and Vision Podcast. You can support us by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps spread the word any way you can. You can also buy the podcast book, Why I Make Art. Many thanks to Tani for taking the time to speak with me. Give her a follow on Instagram and check out her work online. Big shout out to our sponsors, Soho Art Materials. These trimar stretches are pretty cool. If you make paintings and you want to support that's just going to be sturdy i mean these things are amazing they're aluminum with like a wood trim around them i started using them and i swear by them they're just like super strong they don't warp and they're light i really like them so check them out soho art materials they have other stuff too all the art supplies you need check out golden artist colors obviously the best acrylic paint in my estimation and also Fulcrum Coffee Roasters for keeping me caffeinated. Check out their coffee subscriptions and New York Studio School. You could do these intensive marathons that you should check out. You can check them out at uh, their website, New York Studio School. And many thanks to you guys for listening. We've got some cool episodes coming up, with some great people lined up. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, and share away. Let people know. Spread the word. And thanks for listening.